Hi, friends. Merry Christmas. It's day eight of the 12 days of Christmas here at That Sounds Fun. My name is Annie F. Downs, and I'm the host of this little Christmas party. So glad you've joined us. Hope you enjoyed our conversation yesterday with my pastor and pastor of the pod, Kevin Queen. If you missed it or any of the shows from the first week of the 12 days, be sure to go back and catch up. They're such good shows. I think you'll be glad you did. Hey, the music in the background is from our friends Rend Collective. Be sure to grab a copy of their new Christmas album, A Jolly Irish Christmas Volume 2. Hey, have you had a chance to pre-order That Sounds Fun, the book? Well, when you do, you get some really fun perks like the audiobook for free, read by me. No waiting. You'll get it right away. The book doesn't come out till February 2nd, but you get the audiobook today. You just pre-order from wherever you love to buy books and submit your receipt at thatsoundsfunbook.com and you can redeem your free audiobook. Remember also that the first 3,000 friends who purchase That Sounds Fun from Barnes & Noble will get an autographed copy. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a minute and tell you about one of our amazing partners, BetterHelp. You know how important I think it is that we prioritize our mental and emotional health along with our physical and spiritual health. BetterHelp is a convenient way to do just that. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you then connect with in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating in under 24 hours and send them a message anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is available all over the world. And since it's more affordable than traditional counseling, it helps remove some of the common obstacles that often stand in the way of what people are telling me is keeping them from getting the help they need. I love that they have such a broad range of expertise, some that might not be available to you locally. Things like help with anxiety or family conflicts and self-esteem. Just like with any professional counselor, anything you share with them is confidential. I want you to start living a healthier life today. And as one of our friends, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash that sounds fun. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash that sounds fun. We've got another great show in store for you today. This one I will never forget. You already know and love this amazing friend. And I promise I tried to play it cool while talking with her, but it's her show with her husband at the Ryman Auditorium every year that truly makes me feel like Christmas season has arrived. And I'm just so thrilled to share this conversation with you. We'll know we've made the nice list this year when we find this lovely friend over by the piano at a party ready to usher in the season with her unmatched tender Tennessee Christmas. Here's my conversation with the ever gracious Amy Grant. Amy, thanks for joining us on That Sounds Fun. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. Our 12 days of Christmas have been incomplete until this year. This, You are the gift that keeps on giving in our 12 <laughs> days of Christmas this year. <laughs> oh. Tell me why, for starters, you're known for so much Christmas music. Why do you love it so much? When I first started recording Christmas music, honestly, it was because, in my experience, that was the time of year that people were the most comfortable, like all people from all walks of life, were the most comfortable um, using the language of faith. Yeah, that was really why I started back in the 80s recording Christmas music. I never considered where that would lead or how much Christmas music I would eventually wind up recording. And I think when it's all said and done and I'm long gone, I probably will be remembered if I'm remembered at all for Christmas music. But a couple of things happened. So I, I always followed up in my experience, kind of high pressured um, work intensive records or any high pressure intensive time in my life with a Christmas record. It was sort of my default. And so that happened three times. It happened when I was, I put out a record that included a song called El Shaddai. I was very young. I was 21 and it suddenly catapulted me into a workspace I had never known. And so I went, I want to get out of the limelight. And I said, let's do a Christmas record. Then years later, I did a, a record called Heart in Motion that sent me traveling around the world and I scurried home and did a Christmas record. did Christmas. It just always brought you home. Because it was not about me. And then I went through a divorce in 1998, 99, and I did not want to be the focus of anything. And I did a Christmas record. And so it was like, in my mind, that was a, a, a healing place to go. 
And then also my relationship with Ron Huff, who is a brilliant orchestrator and arranger. And it was really at his invitation when I, was I still a teenager? I was the same age as his son, Dan. But he invited me to the symphony stage several times to say, let me write arrangements for you and let's do this program for Nashville. Let's do this, let's do that. Let's help the Nashville Symphony. And so it was this convergence of my, my love of celebrating Christmas becoming part of the wallpaper in somebody else's experience and not front and center. And my relationship with Ron Huff, who was so brilliant. And so we were always creating these live experiences that then were reflected in the music. Why do you think people who don't share our faith, because some of our friends listening don't believe everything we believe. Why do some people who don't share our faith still love Christmas music? Well, I just think the collective nostalgia of this is a time of year that is celebrated, even if you don't put up a tree, you can't, you can't ignore holiday lights, window dressings, the songs on the radio, our grandparents heard those, our great grandparents, our mom and dad, us, Um, you know, just uh, a diehard uh, December curmudgeon is still <laughs> is still exposed to the advertising onslaught by businesses who want to make their year end quota, yes. and so everybody does commercials that make you want to cry. And so I just think it's a combination of of all of it. It's just our collective experience in that time of year. Not to mention, I grew up in a place where that time of year was, you know, it's colder outside, and so it even how we experience walking into a home, the nurturing feel of the warmth of being invited in. I mean, it's, a, it's really a cellular kind of experience and it's all of it. It's, you know, good news of great tidings, peace on earth to, to all men. It's, it's that and it's also an Americana cultural time where our society has chosen to express love to loved ones. Yeah. So, you know. I've been in Nashville for 12 years. I moved here in 2008. So this is my 12th Christmas in Nashville. But it was only probably halfway through, probably six or seven years ago, that I heard you sing Tennessee Christmas and it made me cry. Because I was like, oh, yeah, this is how I feel about this place now. How long have you been here? You didn't grow up in Nashville, did you? I did. Oh, you did. You, you're you're one of the unicorns. You're one of the originals. I am a unicorn. I was actually born. My dad was in the army, so he was stationed in Augusta, Georgia. My sister and I were born there, but we quickly returned to Nashville. When I was in college, and my older sisters had started having kids, there were five generations of my family alive, and so yeah. And holidays were different collections of all those people. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about Nashville then versus Nashville now. What do you what do you miss about it for when, you know, in the 80s or around there long before I knew it? And what is better now? Well, what Nashville was like and what my experience was, you know, I mean, all of our experience as a child, it's sort of the ever widening circle of connection and community. And when I was very young, you know, my circle was my family, cousins, what part of town did y'all grow up in? Uh, Green Hills. Okay. So my great-grandparents' farm what is now an office park. It's called Burton Hills. So Burton Hills was um, went from whatever that last little building was to Harding Place. And then the, uh, a road was built on the backside of Burton Hills called Shies Hill. And so on, our, on the dead-end side of Shies Hill, there were seven homes and we were all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the owner of Seven Hills. Seven Hills was the name of the farm. Yeah. It's Burton Hills now. And but back then Hillsborough Road was a two-lane road. Uh-uh. Oh yeah. Have you been out there lately, by the way? The the construction they're doing right now is brutal. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, what is it, five lane now? Yeah, it's five. And they're like repaving it or something. It's it's awful. Yeah. So it was two lanes. It was two lane, yeah. And my great grandparents' farm, 
you know, those stacked stone walls yes. that are sort of all over this part of the, especially in Franklin. So they had a stacked stone wall and I'm not sure, I'm, I'm sure they didn't stack it, but it was seven feet tall. Oh it was the lo- it was the tallest stacked stone wall and went the entire length of the property facing Hillsborough. And when they, when they widened the road, it was just knocked down. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. It was just knocked down. (laughs) (laughs) There was no historic marker. Right. Boom. And their house actually was um, a hospital during the civil war. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. It was old. And uh, yeah. And then when they, when my great grandmother was the second to die, I was a junior in college when she passed and all of that land was given to they believed in Christian education. And so they, they gave everything to Lipscomb University. Oh, and then wow. like, like so many schools that, you know, what they needed really was the, the financial underwriting. Sure. And so they, they sold it and it was developed. And I know, but in my mind, you know, I, I just knew Nashville in such a simpler time. Yes. But the great thing about this town is um, because so much of it is about is creativity and, and the way we experience creativity is in intimate circles. And so to me, it's just like, you know, just more and more little bubbles of community. And maybe that's the way everybody experiences community. But it's like, how many people are in the room to tell the story? How many people in the room to write the song? How many people in the room to brainstorm about this idea? And that just keeps happening in larger and larger quantities. So man, that is such an interesting statement that creativity happens in small groups. Like I, I don't know that I'd thought about that, but you're right. I can take in art at the Ryman, but I'm not making art in that size room. No. Yeah. I've written three or four books as an adult here and all of them have a chapter about the Ryman. It's like I can't get away from it. <laughs> Every time when I'm sitting and writing, even the new one, that sounds fun. I was like, don't do this again. You've written about the Ryman every time. But great. will you tell me, I mean, because y'all, my family and I have come to Christmas at the Ryman that you and Vince put on. That room is just so special. What does it mean to you? I think the first time I ever went to a performance at the Ryman, it was before it was redone. Yeah, they redid it when? The 90s, maybe? Yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't know the exact dates. But I just, I remember going when I was in middle school and I went to the Grand Ole Opry. Of course, the, the pews are still the same. Yeah. You know, I think they polished them or something. <laughs> but I just remember feeling like the balcony was unprotected enough that anybody could fall over. Yes. Like that's what hit me in the in the in the in sixth or seventh grade. And the night that I was there, um, the only two guests I remember being there were um, Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner. Oh my God. And so, yeah, and I just remember in my young sort of pre-puberty state feeling all kinds of sizzle coming off the stage, which as a young woman, you know, you're just like, I want all of that. Right. (laughs) All of that I want. Yeah. Maybe not her breast. I don't want all of that, but some of that would have been nice. But (laughs) I would have paid so much money to see Dolly Parton at the Grand Ole Opry back then. I mean, that is got, I think I heard on the radio that they're coming up on maybe 95 years. Is that right? Of the Grand Ole Opry? Yes. This fall. Yeah. And y'all have been, you and Vince have been involved. I mean, you've played the Grand Ole Opry probably unnumbered times, right? I mean, you've done it so much. Well, Vince, of course, he's a member of the Grand Ole Opry. So he, he plays all the time. Yeah. And that's really the way that radio show was. Anybody that wasn't on the road would just show up backstage. That still feels how it goes sometimes where you just go, what are, how are they there and not at a concert somewhere? Yes, I know. Yeah. And you know, and, and so the, the Opry, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, this year, who knows? It was so but typically November, December, January, February, up until 2019, those four months, the Opry would broadcast from the Ryman. Yes, yes. And then the rest of the time at the Opry House. But yeah, um, yeah just the way that that has kind of set a standard for um, respect for music for, from all decades and just musicianship, like mm-hmm. this doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, but you know, really when I married Vince back in 2000, I inherited this whole other 
part of the musical family. And I had a lot of learning. Oh, sure. I kind of, you know, I remember one night listening on the radio and I was like, who was that? Oh my gosh. They were, everything was off key. And he, he was like, well, this person's in their nineties and they're in the hall of fame. And let me tell you about their career. So I learned, right. keep your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> right. I've never regretted anything I didn't say. That's right. <laughs> but one night we were, we were at the Opry house. So it wasn't the Ryman, but it was the Opry house. And of course, all of the doors are left open that, and there's so many dressing rooms back there. I mean, we were, I was doing a, a show one time and I happened to be sharing a dressing room with several artists and one was Loretta Lynn. And we're just right at the makeup table primping and doing our stuff. And I had some clip on earrings and she's grabbed one of those earrings and said, you know, I remember when Patsy and I used to take the, the craziest clip on earrings and we would clip them on our pumps. And so it looked oh like gosh. every pair of pumps were sort of stylized to your outfit. <laughs> And I'm just, I'm sitting there going, I'm next to a woman who is telling me a personal story about Patsy Cline. Yes, yes. Patsy Cline, who was the background music of every bubble bath my older daughters ever had when they were, you know, little bitties. I mean, they always, bubble baths and Patsy Cline. Yeah. You know, so it's just like that whole open door policy. And so one night, Vince was playing the Opry. I was just there. And a gentleman had come in white-haired, and he said, uh, can we play together? And so Vince said, sure. And people would come in all the time, you know, just bring their instruments and they're playing all these songs that they all know the same way I know all four verses to so many songs in the hymnal. Sure. But these were all new to me. Yep. Anyway, this guy came in, rosined up his bow and they're playing, playing, playing. They play so long, like everybody leaves. They're still playing. Then the security people come in and kind of nod to us. And they're just like, the place will lock up when you leave. Uh-uh. And finally they quit playing. Well, you know, of course, I don't know who this guy is, right. but I'm thinking legendary and I'm not about to show my ignorance. So I'm just listening and, you know, and they finally take their instruments down, lock everything up. We all walk out the back door. The place is dark. We get in our cars. And when the door slams, I said, okay, who was that? And Vince said, I have no idea. <gasps> uh-uh. He'd never met them. <laughs> they just played that long and he still doesn't know who he is. Just never knew. <gasps> oh, I know. That is one of the best stories I've ever heard. That is such a Nashville story. That is. I know. <laughs> I know. That is absolutely <laughs> perfectly. Yeah, because I, I was ready for you to say some name that we were all going to. But that's an actual bet. The no name is a better name because Vince Gill just played with him for a long time. It just respect for the gift, respect for yes. a, a fellow musician. Uh, how many years have y'all done up until 2020? How many years have y'all done Christmas at the Ryman? Ten. Ten, yes. Yeah, I think my family and I have come to, and thanks to you last year, you let me s throw snowballs from stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was my it's, first. It's so much, I, to me, that's so much fun. Oh, it is beyond fun. And do you know, somebody from my church was sitting two rows behind me. And when I got back to my seat, they like leaned over, they like crawled over people and were like, hey, you don't know me, but I go to your church. And I took a lot of pictures. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so it great. so sweet. Uh, why do y'all keep picking the Ryman to do the Christmas shows at? Well, and there are other great places in Nashville. Sure. We've done shows at the Bridgestone. We've done shows at the Skirmahorn Symphony Center, but... There's something about the Ryman. First off, they keep inviting us. Listen, if the Ryman calls me, I'm answering. That is for sure. <laughs> yes. And it just, uh, I mean, everybody has a connection to that place. And there's something about the fact, you know, it was first built as a church. And so it's got those pews that just make everybody, it's just hard to, it's hard to not lean into a total stranger Yeah, when you're in a in a pew and everybody's kind of shifting around trying to get comfortable. <laughs> yeah. But the atmosphere of it is welcoming and old and timeless. And you just slip into those seats and feel like the echo from voices a hundred years ago is still somewhere in the ethos, you know? So I saw Lizzo do a show there uh, maybe last summer and or last fall and she said from stage even though she doesn't know the history of the building she doesn't know anything she said it feels like everyone who's ever sang here is still singing with me i know <laughs> and i and you know I, I don't remember if i told you the story when we were at the Ryman, but trisha yearwood was front row singing her guts out 
It with That's Lizzo. Awesome. It was the best. <laughs> it was the best. That's so good. But when she said that, I thought, man, I think that might be what I love about this room is I don't feel like I'm um, new to Nashville in here. I feel like I'm part of something else in here. Yes, that's a great way to say it. Hey friends, taking a short break from this conversation with Amy Grant to give a shout out to our amazing partners, Flamingo. As we've shifted from our pumpkin spice goodies to candy canes and cocoa, the weather has shifted to downright cold, at least cold to me where I am. I don't know about you, but the colder weather outside and the dry heat inside really does a number on my skin, just making it drier and more sensitive. Coupled that with the fact that most shave creams or gels just aren't that moisturizing and it's an uncomfortable combo. Our friends at Flamingo say it doesn't have to be that way. Flamingo is a body care brand that makes shaving and waxing products that empower you to look and feel your best at half the price. Flamingo was started by a group of women at Harry's, the men's shaving brand, who wanted to create a better experience for women too. They've crafted razors that are both beautiful and affordable. And they don't just make razors. They have shave sets, wax sets, shave gel, and body lotion. Everything you need in one convenient, affordable place. I mean, I can't get enough of my Flamingo razors. Yes, I have more than one. One in my shower, one in my travel bag for when we get to go on the road again. They're beautiful, soft to hold, and come with a little hanger for the shower and provide a really close shave. But that shave gel and body lotion really complete the process and make sure my skin is moisturized and comfortable. Shaving feels better when it's not overpriced. So visit shopflamingo.com Annie to get your Flamingo shave set. It's just $16 with free shipping. One less trip to the drugstore, you guys. The set includes Flamingo's award-winning razor, shave gel, and body lotion, plus a slip-free shower hook. And with Flamingo's 30-day money-back guarantee, you can try it all risk-free. Again, that's shopflamingo.com slash Annie. And now back to our conversation with Amy. Okay, you ready for my childhood question for you? I warned you, I, we used to listen and I Googled and I can't figure this out. And so I'm hoping you can be my uh, detective because it's your story. We used to listen to a tape when I was a kid of stories you told. And you told a story about a quarter at the bottom of a swimming pool. Do you remember all this? Yes. So the personality that was attached to Bible story book. And so oh, okay. what I loved about the Bible story book is that it was written from the perspective of somebody in the story. And I love storytelling and I just love that perspective. And they asked me to do an audio book. And so I said, fantastic, I'll read the stories, but then can I also tell a story? Because I didn't actually write those stories. I okay. wanted a reason to be included. And this is so crazy. I just had a microphone and I went to the basement of the farmhouse where we lived. Yes. Songs from the loft farmhouse. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I just hit play. And each one of those stories was just one take. I was just telling a specific story from my childhood or, you know, I don't even remember them all, but then that was sold in conjunction with the Bible story book. Got it. So when I was a kid, we went to the same place in Sarasota, Florida every summer. I mean, the same beach, Lido Beach, which was just right across from Siesta Key, which is where the jaw from Jaws. Oh, yeah. One of those sharks from Jaws was caught right off Siesta Key. Mm -hmm. So with fear and trepidation, we swam those waters. But so we would go down for weeks at a time. And my mom, there was a really cool sort of a shopping area called the Circle on St. Armand's Key that we could walk to. And they had a little five and dime store called Clocks, and they sold sea monkeys and oh, sea monkeys, and model cars. <laughs> we always did a model car every summer. Um, like when we went down there, you know, we would go to church every Sunday. My mom got us a library card. Oh it wow! Was, we were participants in the community. Anyway, but she would give me a dollar a week for spending money, and I was just I was raised in a family that was we were just taught to tithe. And I remember sitting in that church and they would pass the basket. And I remember I had those four quarters that mom had just given me. And I, and I just took a deep breath and put one in the basket because I just knew, I knew that was required of me. And also just part of the journey of faith is you have to give. 
And on one particular Sunday, when I knew what I wanted it, anyway, and I put that in there. And later on, that same day, I was swimming in the pool. Do you see me crying as you're telling me the story? Connected to the place we were swimming. Yeah. I mean, to that we were staying. And I saw something shiny at the bottom of the pool. And I dove down there and it was a quarter and it was like, no way. I mean, it's so crazy, but it's those lessons you learn as a child. And here's the other thing. This is the kid who played on my grandparents' farm. That was our gathering spot. And that whole time I knew that when my great grandmother passed, the whole thing was given away. You know, what I have of my great grandparents is a daybed and two lamps. So I grew up in an environment of philanthropy. It was just like, this is a way of life. We are channels into the world for the love of God. That's it. We are channels. And you, you know, you slide into home plate on your deathbed with empty pockets, travel lightly. I mean, that was really the way I was raised. And so it was just like, okay. But those those lessons when you're little is like <gasps> right, <laughs> you know? and that's I mean that is what I'm even as you're telling it, it's making me cry because tithing has been a life changing part of my life. I attribute a lot of my faith to and a lot of my success, honestly, to the consistent giving. And I was raised in a similar family of generosity, but how much that story of yours shaped me when I was nine or ten. Because I remember, as you retell the story, I remember that it was a tithing story that you found the quarter at the bottom of the pool after you had given it away at church. Yes. That is wild. Yeah. Okay, this is just the craziest thing. So just this week, excuse me, two weeks ago, you know, times are tough. I am given a monthly allowance. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess I give it to myself. Sure, yeah. We, I, I'm salaried as well by my company. I'm salaried, so. yes. And I had a friend who was really in a bind and needed a personal loan. Mm. And I did not, I wanted to keep it anyway. I loaned the money. And I was sitting there going, okay, I can do nothing for the rest of the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like nothing. I had one of my kids' birthdays. Anyway, so I'm involved with this um, non-invasive therapy called Saraset. It's acoustic brain mirroring, and it really helps people. Yeah, I have been involved for about a year and a half, but I discovered the technology in 2009 when my bipolar niece was living with us and totally crazed. And someone saw her in public. Actually, it was Winona Judd saw her in public and said, there's a therapy coming out. Scottsdale, Arizona, trust the process. It was wow. a game changer for my niece. So anyway, I saw someone at a funeral recently, and she said, would you please make a way for me to do this therapy? And I told her that there was a hard cost to it. And then as it turned out, I was able to provide that to her for free. And the next time I saw her, she handed me an envelope and she said, I had been saving to pay for that therapy. And I want this to go for any need that you have. She's a kid. She's in her early 20s. And she handed me (laughs) that envelope. (laughs) And I was going, how do I tell her? Me, who lives in a big house, that was just like trying to do something for somebody privately that like I needed that gift. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so weird and it was just so crazy. And then the other night I had somebody that did a therapy session on me because I, my throat tightens up and all kinds of things. And I was supposed to sing and I was going to pay this woman out of that gift that that child gave me. But I had sung at a, a client of hers who had just passed away, I sang at his bedside and at the funeral. And there was like the last of that envelope money. And she folded up her table and she said, this is on me because this is what I can give you. And it's just like the ways that we give to each other, whether our time, our resources, our hard earned savings, money that was given to us, I mean, 
that is the, that's where the miracles show up. And that is why I keep telling my kids all the time, money is simply a tool, but it's an indicator of compassion and your flexibility for being in the flow of the spirit, you know, because money comes and goes. Yeah, that's right. It's always going out. It's always coming in. It is just the way it goes. I mean, it is amazing because even as you're telling this story over the last few minutes, I mean, your whole life, the Lord has done miraculous things when you took a faith step over and over. Over and over. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I just like, mm -hmm. in fact, it's funny. I feel like, you know, our tendency as people, because we have brains, is we recognize the things that bring us joy and comfort and security. And we use our time and energy and resources to create what I call a, <laughs> a world in which we control the thermostat. That's just the way whatever our capability is, we are always building an environment around us where we feel safe. And that, because, you know, we, that's, we, we're just wired to create around us something that feels stable and lovely and all those things. But it's only when we go outside of that, when we step outside of that, where we're in over our heads, where we have to ask for help, when we recognize our own need, that our hearts are ripped wide open because you're like, I can't do this. <laughs> and that can be anything. It can be that you volunteer to do a food drive. It can be anything. It can be something that lasts one day. It can be something that lasts three weeks, but it's, it's the times where we step out of our, of the life that we so lovingly construct and that suddenly we are working without a net and we have to get help. I mean, do you feel like 2020 has done that to everybody in some ways, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It has just removed our ability to trust that tomorrow is going to be exactly the way we think it's going to be. Yep. And that it's going to go. Will you talk for just a minute about your heart surgery this year? Sure. Um, How do you feel? Do you feel better? I feel better. Yeah. I, I didn't even know I could feel better. I feel great. Is it one of those where you're like, I didn't know that I was hurting until I got healed? Yes. Really? And I've just started singing again, like this week in the studio. And I actually feel better when I sing. My throat is not tightening up as much as it used to. Yeah. So I wonder if some of that was a little bit of oxygen deprivation just in my musculature. I mean, Amy, it is like you are such an example to us of like God's hand just has never left you. Even though your life hasn't been perfect by any stretch. I'm sure mine isn't either. But you just go like, man, the Lord... <laughs> you sorted out that you had a heart condition and lived through it and you're better than healthier than you were before. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So Vince last Christmas, we were in the middle of the Christmas shows uh -huh. you know, and, and he was getting winded going up steps and he was looking at his 63rd birthday and his father died at 65 of a heart attack. Oh, wow. And that's why we went to the doctor because he was nervous. Oh, so you just went because he went. I just went with him to hear his <laughs> test results. <laughs> My gosh. That's it. That is unreal. And the doctor said, Vince, you're great. Your heart looks great. Your arteries are great. He said, you, you know, improve your diet and get some exercise. That's what he said. And then that cardiologist looked at me and he said, and what about you? We should check your heart out. And I was like, I'm the energizer, buddy. I'm fine. <laughs> right. And he said, no, let's do it let's run you through a battery of tests. And I said, well, not December. This is like the busiest month of the totally. year for us. And he said, okay, I'll see you the first week of January. Did he sense something? Did he know something or was he just being a doctor? I have no idea, but yeah. I do know. I didn't do a treadmill test, but he, he did several tests and he called me the next day and said, Hey, you look great. And then he called and then he texted me the next day. And he said, call me as soon as you get this. Oh, because what he was looking for was fine. And he said, we found something we weren't looking for. And when I went in to meet with him, if he could have high-fived the unseen world that compelled him, because he said, I ordered tests for you that are not on the protocol. I just felt compelled to check these oh, other things. And he said, you have a birth defect. And, and people don't live... They don't live out their 60s. And he said, we need to do this before you turn 60. Oh, my gosh. I know. And so 
Yeah. So he said, you know, just, he said, don't go run a 5k. So he said that in January and I had a very busy year and he said, it's not dire, but this is the kind of thing that you're okay. 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 And then it's catastrophic. He said, but we, we can read things right now. It's not catastrophic right now. And so as soon as they opened up surgeries, with COVID, he said, let's get you in. And they did. Yeah, because it just made sense, I guess, once your year kind of slowed down because of COVID to go ahead and do it. Were you afraid? I mean, I think I was, uh, you know, kind of, I was anticipating it. I don't know how to say, my brain just doesn't work that way. I don't fixate uh-huh. on something in the future and get nervous about it. Uh-huh. Good and bad. It's like everything in our life, especially those days on the calendar that are like, gold starred or circled in red. It's just like, you know, it's the ring of fire at the circus. Right. You're, the, you're the tiger running, running, running. And then you like, you go through the ring of fire and it's still you on the other side of it. So That's right. I guess I saw it as a ring of fire on the calendar, but it was like, well, that's not today, you know? And it wasn't really until I was having to do those scrubs like the night before and the morning of, and I was just like, wow, I'm getting ready to do this. <laughs> oh, this is my actual heart <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. I know. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't get, I didn't do a lot of looking, I guess I just trusted. And I also thought I, this has been a beautiful life. And so, I, and I, I've always seen myself as becoming, just being that wiry old woman who's, <laughs> a rascal. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I have definite plans to be an 80 year old rascal. That is in my to-do list. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking 94 actually was what I was hoping for, but, um, yeah. And I just thought this is a step along that journey. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about, because that makes me think about leaving a legacy and even thinking about how directly affected I am by your stories and your music. I cannot let my brain linger there. I will just cry this whole time about, the long-term effects you have, your art and your work has had, and your faith has had on so many people. (laughs) I mean, you've been doing this job for 30 years, 40 years, 30 years? Yeah, yeah, 40, 42. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm 40. And so so there's just generations of us that are deeply affected in their faith by your work. What does that make you still want to do? What does that make you feel about about the work you've gotten to do? That's too big of a question. Yeah, sorry, okay. I look. mean, I sir, yeah. What I, I mean, I guess I just think my life didn't turned out so differently than I thought it would. I didn't really have a plan, and I just think about um, the days that I remember. I just try to pray, you know, Lord, lead me today to those I need. And those that need me and let something I do matter, let something have eternal significance. And I think about, even though it wasn't that specific prayer, but I was just raised uh, in a world where God's presence made endless opportunity and possibility. And that it didn't matter if things were going great or things were going awful it was just like well no 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 now you get to see how mercy looks from there and you can't see how mercy flows into a hospital room until you're in a hospital room you can't see how mercy reaches the depth of this until you find yourself in that depth I mean it was always like well no no it's all part of it and so I guess you know what I feel like is you know whether it's with my children or my grandson, with people who go to church or don't go to church, what I try to communicate is we are all in the massive flow of an overarching story that includes all of us, whether even we even know we're part of the story. We're in it. And you can say, well, I'm not a believer in the story. And you go, well, someday we're going to look back and go, guess what? You didn't have to believe to be a part of it. You were just in it. (laughs) You're in it, right. I just have loved whetting the appetite of other people. And in the process, my own appetite is whetted for saying, God, if I really gave myself to you, what could you do? If I really gave you what I had, 
And if I could really see, like every time I'm sitting in the crowd and somebody I love is on the athletic playing field and they're so far down (laughs) and I would go, if you knew you were going to win the game, how differently would you play? If you knew, I don't care for down 40 points at halftime. Right, right. I mean, you know, how differently would you play? You wouldn't give up. You wouldn't, you know, and, you know, I don't have all the answers to the questions that I have, but I just keep thinking about, I just trust God that the life that began in every person, that he just never lets go of us, not any of us. I mean, I've got kids and there are times, you know, with a couple of them, yes, I've stood, stood in juvenile court. Yes, we've had <laughs> community enforced lockdown. You know, I mean, <laughs> my kids are all rascals, just rascals. I'll be somewhere now. They're, you know, most of them are grown. And I'll be talking to Ricky Skaggs or somebody. Our children, are, they're all part of the worship team. And I'm like, I don't even, I'm not even sure if my kids are going to church. I mean, it's like <laughs> they are, I always knew that one of my kids was going to take the longest road home. I knew it because of curiosity and because of, oh, no, I'm not going to miss that. You tell me I'm missing it. No, I'm going to go find it. (laughs) And it's just like, I don't know. We just live, we live in a world where every, every opportunity that we have is based on our performance for the last, the thing we did before. You have this podcast because you are, people love your voice. I got to make another record because somebody bought the record. We go to a high school reunion because we made it through first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Right. That's how we got our high school friends. Right. We made it through like everything about our world is based on performance. You get a circle at the table because you're good at your job. And when I think about the worst moment of of parenting, the greatest disappointment, the worst choices for how one of my kids might have treated their body or how they invested their time or who their circle of friends was. At the worst moment, if somebody has said, compare every other person in your life to how you feel about this child right now, I would say I would lay down my life in an instant for that child. And I just go, is that how God feels about me? Like it has never been about my performance ever. You believe that kind of love and you believe it not just for yourself, but for everybody. It's the biggest game changer, you know? And until, until we really grasp that, we are just trying to be good enough or instead of just showing up every day going, so here's my toolkit, three hours of sleep, whatever. But if we just show up, You just never know. Hey, friends, just interrupting this conversation one more time to tell you about one of our incredible partners, Rothy's. You can become everyone's favorite gift giver when you spread some holiday cheer with the newest Rothy's styles like winter-ready shoes, brand-new bags, and washable masks. Whoever would have believed that masks were so Christmassy, but here we are. Rothy's stylish and sustainable products are available in an ever-changing array of styles, colors, prints, and patterns. Rothy's makes shoes and accessories out of plastic water bottles. Y'all know I love this. You've heard me say it before. I think it's so cool. To date, they've transformed nearly 70 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and masks. Rothy's shoes are seamlessly knit with their signature thread, so they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. My two favorite things about them are, number one, there's no break-in period. They're comfy from day one, literally. And number two, they're machine washable. Anytime they need a little refresh, just toss them in the washer. Plus, Rothy's comes with free shipping and free returns on eligible items, so you can gift without worry. And with a Rothy's gift card, you can let your loved ones pick out their own perfect present. So check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash sounds fun. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash sounds fun. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash sounds fun today. And now back to finish our conversation with Amy Graham. It's a beautiful idea when you said, um, I spend my time wetting other people's appetites for the divine, for God, for love that they aren't experiencing. And in that, my appetite 
increases. And I think a lot of times in the church, for our friends who are in the church, we think it's the other way. You need to go get you need to make sure you have a good relationship with God before you tell anybody else, or you need to make sure you have the answers before you before you lead anywhere. And what you're telling me from from your experience is be public about your faith, be public about your questions and your experience with God, and it will draw other people, but it'll also change you. Right. And here's the other way of, of being public. I mean, most of my children are grown. They're all, they're all grown, but they have, <laughs> I remember when my son was taking classes at Lipscomb University and I said, Hey, I'm going to be over there. You want to have a cup of coffee? And he said, I don't think anybody has connected me with you. Please <laughs> let me. <laughs> this is like the worst preacher's kid experience. You know, right. Oh, I know. Today. I think. About and so, that. yeah. And so I, I have always worldwide PK. That's really yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah. But so what I've tried with my kids is to say, to be very respectful of their own journey, their own journey of faith, each one of them. And so when I talk to them about some experience, it's never to say, I just want to tell them about my journey. This is just a, a for instance, but, um, because when you're telling somebody else your story, it's not threatening to them. You're not saying, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z. It's just going, I can't believe that this happened. And so I'm going to sound like a total fruitcake, but. Oh, no, we're into it. All right. So a friend of mine had a son who was in the hospital and he was on life support. And I had felt compelled to go pray for him. And I'm sitting in the carpool line, picking up my youngest at high school. And then I get a call from another mom and, she, and she's crying. She said, I shouldn't know this, but they're, they're going to disconnect him tonight. And she said, I only know that because grandmothers were talking in any way. And all I felt was, I knew I was supposed to go pray for this young man. And so... I went, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I was not a close friend of the family. And so anyway, my daughter gets in the car and I said, hey, I'm just going to drop you off at, the, off at the house. I got to go do something and, I, and I'll be back. It won't take long. And so I get to the hospital and I just ask what floor that, where that is. I have not been up there to visit before. I'm not on the inner circle of this family I dated the dad for a short time when we were kids. <laughs> the door opens. The parents are not there, but a circle of people that I kind of grew up is, is there, the preacher from their church, the minister. But they're all kind of leaving. And I pull him aside and said, can I go? Can I just have a moment alone with this young man? And he said, nobody's in there right now. And so I said, okay. And I go in there and he is... Uh, hooked up to machines, but he's kind of tossing and turning. I don't even know. I'm not even sure what I'm doing. I put my head on his, I put one hand on his head. And all I know is I'm just following through with what I believe I was supposed to be doing. And then I start praying for him. And then my other arm just went like, it just kept raising up and up and out, just as high as it could go. Like it just raised by itself. And then I was just like being as still as I could on the inside. You know, I think I might've been saying that phrase, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Maybe only that phrase, just trying to empty myself. And then like a big, very slow motion sweep, that raised arm just swept across that child. And then it just kept going. And I was going, it felt like a massive wing. That's all I could say. And then he got very still and I just stayed there as long as, I know this is going to sound weird, but it almost felt like I, I had a, a feeling of, it felt good is all I know how yeah. to say it. Yeah. It felt like if that feeling had been a smell, it would have been like I was smelling a cinnamon roll, yeah. but I wanted to stay there as long as my arm kept moving. And then he got very still. And I'm not sure how many times, and I had to not worry about the nurse's station or the open. Right. And then the last time through, my hand came and just rested on my heart. And then I thought, well, I'm done here. And I left and I just went, well, I, 
I'm not sure what that had to do with him, but I knew that it was something that I was told to do. And then I was talking to someone else who was in the room. Oh, with y'all? No, later. Oh, okay. when When he passed. And this person, like I'm kind of a hippy-dippy, touchy-feely, you uh-huh. know. And this person, when I, I told that person what had happened, and, and this was a close family friend, and they said, I never would have told anybody, but my hand started moving and then my, and came to rest, was pulled over my heart. And I said, I'm not sure what all was going on, but they said, I never would have told anybody this. Yes. And I said, there's so much to the world we don't see. But I, the next weekend, Vince was on the road and somebody gave him a painting for me. And they said, I just felt compelled to paint this. And when I opened it up, it was a single white feathered wing. Nope. Uh-huh. And the go- all around it was gold. It was the coolest painting. And my son came over that afternoon and I went, I just got to tell you the craziest things happened to me. Yeah. And I told him that whole story. And by the end, I just went, life is just so exciting. Anyway, that was the end of it. That Christmas, my son, who is curious about everything, but not, you know, he is not quick to jump, jump on anybody's bandwagon. He marches to the beat of his own drum. And when I opened it up, it was like a, a service platter ish. And it was just a single wing. And I opened that up and looked at him and he was just like staring at me. And he said, I thought of this and thought, I've got to get this for mom. I don't know how to say it, but I felt like I was glad I told him that story. And it was his way of participating in that experience. Yes. And had you never told? And Yeah, yeah. And I didn't tell the other kids. He just happened to walk in the door. Yeah, and I have that painting hung in a cabin out at our farm. And if somebody asks me about it, I'll, you know, I tell them the story. But to me, it's our stories. And that's where I don't think our stories ever happen within the controlled environment that we create for ourselves because we know what's going on there. Hey, my favorite news show comes on at 5.30 and I'm going to pour a cup of tea and I'm going (laughs) to do my thing. Right, right. You know, and it's like, it's only when we step outside of that, that stuff happens that creates adventure. Yes. And paying attention, like we have to notice you, there's a world where you wouldn't have tied those two things together, where you wouldn't have thought about it again, but there's, but you've taught yourself to notice. Yeah. And here's the other thing that's exciting. I think that that constant communication is happening in every single person. I don't think you have to have a language of faith for it. And whenever I'm talking to kids or anybody, I'll say anytime you if something occurs to you, take an extra sandwich, stick your umbrella in the car, anything that occurs to you out of nowhere. Turn left instead of turning right. Listen to it. Yep. Call this person. It doesn't matter what it is. But if you really want adventure, start listening to that. You don't have to identify it, but there is goodness in this world and love. And in that environment, all of us live and move and have our being. And the matrix of connection between all of us is the invitation is always there. It's always present. And it's just a matter of, it requires a little bit of trust, like to, if something floats across your head, to do it. It's almost like if you just can arouse somebody's curiosity enough to respond one time in their life, then you don't, there's no responsibility on your plate to continue. Then they've, they go, Ooh, <laughs> I'm part of the adventure too. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just a trust. I, I want pe- our friends here to say that when you're saying you have to just trust those moments, it's not just trusting God, it's trusting yourself mm-hmm. and going like, okay, I'm grabbing my umbrella. I don't know why I may not use it at all today, but I'm grabbing my umbrella because I had that one thought 
And I mean, this morning I went back and checked to make sure I'd unplug my straightener. It was unplugged. It was fine. But those little moments lead to adventure and they lead to connection with God and other people. And so you just have to trust yourself. If you think of an umbrella, grab an umbrella. If there's someone else to give a gift to, give a gift to them. Like, you just never know. You never know. You never know. Yes. Yeah. When there's a white winged painting coming your way. Just never know. Man, Amy, wow, that story is going to stick with me for, as your stories tend to do, apparently, stick with me for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we got to talk just for a second about Christmas. You re-released one of your Christmas albums, right? And added some new things this year. The Tennessee Christmas is what the album's called. We'll get everybody to grab that album. Okay. Um, okay, Can I I tell you, so I've got to, when we finish this, I'm going in the other room to sign several stacks of, I think we just passed the 35 year mark for a record called Unguarded. And so it's a small batch of LPs. I mean, can you believe that it's been 35 years since that album? I love that album too. And you're putting it out on vinyl. Yeah. At Christmas, you gifted me with a couple of your albums on vinyl. And I have, I need you to know that I worked those over quarantine and stay at home (laughs) every day when I was working. I was trading out my Amy Grant vinyls. That's awesome. It was awesome. Um, okay, I have two final questions for you. I want to know what your all-time favorite Christmas song is. Is there one y'all go to or you dance around to, or is there one that it can be one of yours or it can be one of someone else's, whichever way? My all-time favorite? Know, oh my gosh. So well, hard. I, so my all-time favorite, the record that I have put on over and over and over is Nat King Cole. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And all the arrangements were done by Ralph Carmichael. Yes, I just love, there's so much great Christmas music, but just when I was on my own, you know, and then building my own Christmas memories, it was Nat King Cole. So every year when I, my job is to put lights on our tree and I'm usually doing it by myself, <laughs> Yeah. but I always open a bottle of chilled champagne, invite anybody to participate, but that's just Nat King Cole and I do the lights. And now, I mean, there's so much great Christmas music. So many, I mean, Natalie Cole to just, you know, if you want it to be moody, if you male, female, there's just, yeah, there's so much. There's Christmas. so much. Well, you know, tender Tennessee Christmas is sticking close to me forever. So, um, okay. The last question we always ask every podcast, because the show is called, that sounds fun. Tell me what y'all do for fun. Mm. At Christmas time. Anytime. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I love building outside fires. Okay. And so... Um, Y'all have like a big fire pit? Um, we do at the farm. And then at the, here at the house, we have, um, yeah, fun with fire. Yeah. <laughs> Fire's always fun. You're um, like, Annie, we don't contain it. <laughs> we yeah, just do yeah. it out the yard. Yeah. But for fun, oh my gosh, I love any art project. At Christmas time, we, every year the kids and I, and now the grandkids and I decorate gingerbread houses and eat most of it. Yeah. Um, And then we play in our attic. Yeah. I wish I could transport you to the attic right now because for several years, um, my dad had a model train and I set up an electric train in our attic and have a little kitchen area. And I mean, this is not like set up like, you know, it doesn't look like Pottery Barn. It looks like an attic with all these nooks and crannies of places to play. Yeah. And when my kids were little and it was bad weather or the power went out, you know, to me, pioneer days, that was so much fun, but we would play, play hide and seek. Yeah. And those things are still fun for me. Hide and seek. Of course, then there were the times you go hide. No, I'm going to give you a long time to hide. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Her, you go hide. I'm going to count. I'll count. You won't hear me, but. Um, that's a great answer that's awesome Amy thank you for doing this today I'm just so so thankful it's been really important to me so thank you for making time for this thanks and great to be with you oh you guys what a dream for real my gracious she's just as lovely yeah I'm just speechless it was so special you can see on my Instagram the picture of us when we hung up and I was crying. So I'm, I'm posting it because I'm not ashamed that that to talk with Amy Grant is just a dream come true. 
Oh, I'm just thankful for her. What a lovely friend to have. Be sure you follow her on Instagram. Tell her thanks so much for being on the show today, how much it meant to you. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. I'm Annie F. Downs, TSF. Like, that sounds fun on YouTube. I think that's it for me today, friends. What a lovely episode. And tomorrow is the same. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. I'll do the same. We'll see you back here. Party continues. Day nine of our 12 days of Christmas with my pal, Ben Rector. See y'all tomorrow.